This is the American Family Farmer. I'm your host and an American Family Farmer, Doug Steffen. This podcast made possible in part by Calitrin, the safe way to lose weight, Prevagen, keeping your brain healthy, and my pillow, guaranteed to be the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. This is the American Family Farmer. I'm Doug Steffen, an American Family Farmer, here with news information about how you can make your farm work better, some stories of some of the trips I've taken to some very nice, wonderful uh, Jersey farms in the last week or so. I'll tell you that later on in my commentary. First, I want to start with the uh, focus on the price of beef. This program is about agriculture. It's about the family. It's about the farm. It's about the food that you eat. And by now, many of you have heard the story, especially if you're connected uh, to beef. And we're going to get into this a little bit more with the guest that we have in a few minutes from DX Beef. The company from Brazil, JBS, which actually supplies and controls about 20 or 25% of the world's meat victim of a cyber attack. There are a lot of details that are still coming in as to the severity of the attack, uh, but it's been a problem this week. And mostly it's going to be a problem for those of you who eat meat, buy it at the store or a butcher shop, wherever you go. It will immediately cause the cost of a steak in a restaurant to go up a buck or two, a hamburger at McDonald's. I stopped at a, uh, a Burger King on the road to get one of their impossible burgers. And uh, even the cost of that, that's $6 for fries, you know, that kind of stuff. It's nuts what's going on with the cost of food. And people are blaming the farmer, which is the most ignorant stance that one could take. It isn't the farmers at all. It's the truckers, in fact, that are causing much of the problem. It's supply and demand. But in this circumstance, it's a cyber attack. The IT systems all over the world that JBS, this huge conglomerate, is using, they control pretty much the largest slaughterhouses all around the world. They're all shut down. The shutdowns of computer systems and the plants themselves causing supply delays, pushing the price up. And as usual, the Russians are behind it. They have not, the folks at JBS have not disclosed what the ransom is. Uh, they have just talked about their broad shutdown because they are concerned about the attack, obviously, and what it could do to their business. It's the same bunch that did the attack on the pipeline, the same bunch that's going after businesses and, and they're getting people to pay four, five, six million. I think one, didn't the pipeline pay $40 million? Some not, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. And this will affect the global availability of all kinds of beef, pork, poultry, because they're now all sort of woven into the same companies. Uh, so here we go again. Uh, the Russians, and what are we doing about it? Our government is sitting with its hands in a place that you can't see them. And I guess that maybe is as descriptive as I want to be. Uh, this is disgusting, R ridiculous, in fact, that we're in this position. I had uh, the opportunity to listen to an interview that Willie Nelson gave and a farmer named Michael Kovac. You may have heard about this. Uh, they had an interview with the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Uh, it was all about farm aid, who benefits, and how the administration... It was kind of a, a question. 
uh, about what the Department of Agriculture and its personnel can do to help strengthen family farms and to invest in rural America, much more so than the Trumpers did. Uh, I was surprised anybody that was a farmer voted for Trump, frankly. Most of the money went to the wrong places. We've, you've all heard these stories about how uh, these fraudsters uh, ripped off the system. Anyway, back to Vilsick talking to this farmer, Michael Kovac, and Willie Nelson. The discussion brought up a lot of points of how farmers need to be helped by funds allocated by the American Rescue Plan and support for uh, what is going on, the jobs plan. You can't find help anywhere because everybody's, you know, they're still collecting. Easier to make money or get money for not doing anything. So there's a problem pretty much in every industry, including on the farm. And so one of the questions that um, Vilsack asked Willie Nelson about farm aid uh, and what it meant to him, and Willie said he grew up in a farm community down in Texas, a lot of cotton and corn. He said he worked on the fields as a youngster, baled hay, picked corn. So I know how hard the work is, and there's not a lot of money in it, that's for sure. Yep. And we've had 35 farm aid concerts, he says. I'm glad we've been able to help a lot of people with millions and millions of dollars. He credits Neil Young and John Mellencamp for helping get through the challenges. And then uh, Vilsack asked uh, the, fo- the fellow who's the farmer, what do we need to know about COVID and the impact it's had on the supply chain from the farmer's point of view? And Michael said, Michael, uh, the farmer, again, his name is Michael Kovac. He said, the pandemic really shined a bright spotlight on the fallibility that came along with the efficiency that we've built into our food system. When one plant takes down 5% of the processing capacity for beef, making a reference to what's going on now, it's a pretty sure sign uh, that we are uh, putting too many of our eggs in one basket, so to speak. Uh, the Farmers National Farmers Union, uh, the state of the national uh, agricultural system, uh, there's a lot of conversation going on, he said, at the local and regional level. But the infrastructure is not being helped by the feds. And that's true. All they did was throw money at it. And we've become so dependent on the federal government with all these programs. And the farmers are not finding their way out, frankly. And it's, it's a big problem. Uh, so anyway, I thought it was interesting. That's why I made mention of it, that these two guys uh, had a conversation with uh, Tom Vilsack. I don't know whether, uh, you know, we all know that Willie has been an advocate for a number of alternative crops, uh, industrial hemp the importance uh, that brings to the market. And Willie said, with industrial hemp, we have a way to grow food, fuel, fiber, can replenish the soil, and all those things are true. So if you have, I guess what comes away, what I come away with here is the idea or the fact that uh, I'm not frustrated because I can't do it, or I'm just now being able to sort of get back into it after three or four years of planning to grow hemp and having farmers grow hemp and then me processing it on my farm, uh, but the idea that hemp is the same as, as cannabis is so ignorant. There's so much ignorance on the part of people in general and the uh, folks that run government. It's just, it's so, it, it's just discouraging, frankly, that we have so much stuff in the way of us making progress and helping to make the farm life, the family farm life, uh, so much more pleasant and uh, acceptable. And so... With that in mind, the American Family Farmer 
presents a conversation with somebody who's uh, in the beef business. We're going to get to that in a matter of moments here on this week's American Family Farmer. Did you know my pillow is about more than just pillows? You must have known that, right? I'm always talking about these on the various programs that I do, how fabulous the products are made in America. They have sheets. They have towels. They have beds, mattresses, mattress toppers. And of course, they have the pillows. That's where they started. Now, adding to that, they have my slippers, which are kind of cool. I guess the point here I'm making is there are all kinds of things that are great uh, for your sleeping, uh, for your bedroom. The product catalog is very complete. And if you use the DJV code on checkout at the Radio Listener Special Square there, you can buy uh, the bathrobes, for example, at 30% off. You can buy the pillows for $29.99. Normally, they're 74 bucks, So that's a 65% savings. And all those things, there are all kinds of things you can get promotionally by using the promo code DJV. So check it out. Order what you need. Get the right thing. Choose the right colors. Choose everything that's best for you. Just go online to MyPillow, MyPillow.com. Get the towels. You can get two for the price of one, two sets, six-piece sets for the price of one right now in free shipping using the promo code DJV. That's an example at MyPillow.com. Back to the American Family Farmer. I'm Doug Steffen uh, with now a very introspective look. Or I mean, I don't know that. I'm going to tell you perhaps that's what we got when we were done talking to Kelsey Scott, who's the owner of DX Beef. Uh, so if you go to the website, you can kind of get the story, dxbeef.com. But I want to get the story from Kelsey, uh, who is a fourth generational tribal rancher. So let's talk about that, Kelsey. Fourth generational tribal rancher rancher are you on uh, the uh, reservation where are you where is your operation well hi there thanks for having me my name is kelsey scott i am a fourth generation rancher here on the cheyenne river Sioux indian reservation i often uh joke but but kind of mean it (laughs) though when i say that i'm also you know of the 125th generation of my family to get a chance to steward the landscape here in the great plains so yep uh, we raise cow calf uh, and stalkers, and we have a direct-to-consumer grass-fed beef business here on Cheyenne River. All right, so who does that involve, and what does it involve? You on the Cheyenne River is probably a great place to graze, I'm going to guess, um, and I want to get into some of the problems that you have, but I'm more interested at the moment to talk about who it is that benefits from what you do. Well, if I'm doing it right, the whole world should. Uh, My goal is to continue to always enhance the land resource with every management decision we make here on the ranch. Um, We really believe passionately in mimicking Mother Nature in our management style and figuring out the ways to work with her instead of against her. Uh, We practice a very thoughtful rotational grazing pattern and Um, try to kind of reboot that herd instinct in our cattle so that they're impacting the ecosystem in a way that it evolved to be impacted when there was large herds of cloven-hooved bison roaming across at a a rotational period that made sense for the land resource, for the bison herd, and quite frankly, for the native peoples that were herding them across the landscape, uh, surviving off of that protein source. So, We are um, one of many tribal ranchers here on Cheyenne River um, across Indian country. There's uh, over 80,000 American Indian farmers and ranchers who 
utilize their tribal land resource for the benefit of their uh, community and are very community centric and focused in all of the ways that they manage the resource. All right. So a lot of buzzwords, a lot of things in there that you hear from a lot of folks. I want to drill down into uh, some of the specifics with you, uh, issues that may be important to you that aren't important to other uh, folks who are trying to do the same thing. But let's get, I, I think, in an overall a general way, you've done a great job of explaining uh, what you're all about. Again, sort of in a generic way. I want to get into the specifics and talk about stuff that isn't just sort of the things that everybody hears and they don't know what they're, you know, they don't know what they're hearing anyway. Uh, so, Kelsey, hold on a second. Kelsey Scott here with Doug Steffen on The American Family Farmer. I am Robert Strickler. My wife, Joyce, and I have been married for 53 years. Certainly one of the really important things in my life are our children and our grandchildren. I am essentially a writer. I've been involved in communications in the media. I've been an avid fly fisherman for at least 40 or more years. I've been taking Prevagen on a regular basis for at least eight years. For me, the greatest benefit over the years has been that Prevagen seems to help me recall things and also think more clearly, have a crisper ability to remember and think through things. And I enthusiastically recommend Prevagen. It has helped me an awful lot. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. Robert Strickler is a content contributor for Prevagen and real user. Based on a clinical study of subgroups of individuals who are cognitively normal or mildly impaired, this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Kelsey Scott is here with us from DX Beef. You go to their website, dxbeef.com, you'll learn a lot. Are you the actual owner? Is it your family? Is it the tribe? Who actually controls what you do on the uh, reservation or on, in, on that land? Yeah, we are cattle ranchers here on Cheyenne River. Um, we lease uh, a range unit from our Cheyenne River Sioux Tribal Land Office, and that is where our ranching business exists. Uh, we also own some land that we're fortunate enough to have plugged right into where our range unit is located, and that's what we call home. That's the, the home of DX Beef. Um, I am the owner of DX Beef. I started the business back in 2019, and um, really just wanted to address the need for um, having access to a more local, uh, more wholesome food product in our, our community. We are a USDA-defined food desert here on Cheyenne When you River. say community, are you talking about a location or are you using the word generically to talk about the group of people that you're a part of? Uh, sometimes that word gets that. When I said what I did before, I wasn't being disrespectful. It just is that word is a buzzword. We people talk about the community of this and the community of that. And so it's lost its impact. When I was a kid, community meant the town that you lived in or the area that you lived in. So is it that or is it broader in terms of the scope of who's benefiting here or who's participating? Yeah. So for me, the word community gains its impact whenever you're talking about it to reach a group of people. Um, so primarily 90% of our business is conducted here, right here on Cheyenne River, selling to my fellow tribal members. Mm -hmm. um, we have a 3.2 million acre um, reservation that spans across Dewey and Zeebok County. Um, and so we have a very large, <laughs> um, really footprint in the, the agricultural industry is a vibrant economy here locally. 
but we don't have access to the local foods. So when I got into ranching and I realized how heartbreaking it was to raise up a calf crop and then sell them at the sale barn and never know where they're going to be or who they're going to feed or if they're going to feed someone, uh, that was kind of when the wheels of DXB started turning and we figured out a way to direct market that product. That's not unusual in the sense that if you bring, that's the problem and maybe a sidebar issue here is the current situation with that big Brazilian company, uh, which supplies so much of the world's beef uh, that has uh, had itself under cyber attack and what that does to the business in general. Uh, and and there, there certainly is a ripple effect back to you or is there, uh, are you isolated so that stuff like that, the prices that, People are paying in general. That sort of speaks to what you were saying. You know, a lot of times people, when they bring their animals uh, to uh, be sold and slaughtered, or I mean, here's whether it's beef or chicken, maybe even the milk that comes from the cows, they don't. People don't know where it's going. So it's not. That's not unusual, really, is it? I would say no. It's not unusual. Um, unfortunately, what is unusual for most general consumers across the country is to know where their product's coming from. Um, and I really truly believe that the quickest way to healing our food system and and our communities' health and well-being is to reconnect our farmers and ranchers with the consumers. I know we continue to see increasing rates of farmer and rancher suicide, and I think that that's yeah. directly linked to not being able to have the the bountiful experience of being humbled by feeding your community. And if, if you don't get that experience, then what makes all of the late nights and the cold winters and the cattle prices worth it? <laughs> well, when you get down to the brass tacks, that's part of it for sure. But those of us who have been around for a long time, who've seen how the government co-ops uh, prices and gets into bed with the big ag uh, businesses and puts people like you and me out of business in a deliberate way. They'll say, you know, on one hand, they're going to give you uh, some money to help you survive. And on the other hand, the money doesn't go to you. It goes to somebody who doesn't deserve it. And then that's the same uh, with how prices are established. It's a whole can of worms that I kind of want to get into and see how you get around it. I hope you are anyway. Kelsey Scott is here from DX Beef. I'm Doug Steffen on The American Family Farmer. With a spotlight on Kelsey Scott from DX Beef, uh, I, I made the reservation comment. I'm not sure that that's accurate. Uh, most of the land, however, that you're using is part of the Bureau of Land Management. Is it not? Or am I mistaken? No, no, we're Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, we're, we're Cheyenne River Sioux Tribal Lands here. All right. So they're the historic lands that have belonged to the tribes all along. Correct. In essence. Okay. So I made mention of this cyber attack. What's your view on one company having this much control? It sort of speaks to what you were talking about earlier. Nobody knows from nothing about where it goes and where it comes from. So most of the meat markets here have been shut down just because of this one thing. So could that help your business? People could wake up to, okay, we've got this local beef. Let's get that. Let's pay attention to where the beef comes from. Is this helpful or... Is this harmful, what's going on with this cyber attack? Yeah, well, I'm really fortunate to have a, a phenomenal customer base here on Cheyenne River. Um, they, they value and appreciate the quality 
And uh, quite frankly, the content of what's in my beef when they buy from me, they know that they're getting, you know, beef that was born and raised here on Cheyenne River and processed locally at Brock's Butcher Block in Oneida, South Dakota. And so they value and appreciate not only the, the nutrient content, but the content of the story that that beef is creating. And we really believe prominently in reconnecting our consumers with our food source here on Cheyenne River. And so, you know, when you ask about the cyber attack, I, I think probably the only thing that I really think about is, man, I should double check and make sure all my orders are processing fine on my, on my end of the web, on my website. But um, so I, I try not to focus too much on what's beyond my control, definitely stay informed and to help educate those that quite frankly have the best way of voting and that's with their food dollar. I mean, they can, keep that food dollar local in the local economy. And instead of a farmer or rancher getting 14 cents of the food dollar, they get a larger share of that. And, and they're able to feed their family with that or reinvest in further enhancing their land resource with, with every sale that they make. That's another hot button of mine. What the farmer gets out of what he or she is growing into or producing. Uh, this is, again, bad government policy. And maybe, I don't know, how much... How much play does the government have in what you're doing in terms of of uh, being uh, inspecting and being involved? Uh, do you find them around? You know, many of us are so sick of the government and people coming around that really don't know what the hell they're talking about, trying to tell us how to do things that we know how to do through our own education, through our experience over decades, that sort of stuff. Uh, so do you have that same sort of antagonism uh, with government, or do you get along okay with local and state governments there? Well, you're talking to a Native American rancher here who didn't ever really have a choice but to try to get along with the federal government historically. So yeah. um, I, I do the best that I can to navigate the programs. Uh, I think that the programs, sometimes when they're developed, the intent of reaching and truly impactfully reaching the farmer and rancher gets lost from step A to step T when it's finally deployed out there on the landscape. But right. I believe passionately in advocating for the need for more relevant and realistic and relatable uh, programs from our federal government to support our farmers and ranchers. Um, and, you know, just general outreach and advocacy to farmers and ranchers, too. I work for the Intertribal Agriculture Council as their director of programs, and we're a national 501c3 nonprofit organization that has been focused since 1987 on promoting Indian resources for the benefit of Indian people. And often that is simply connecting farmers and ranchers with USDA programs that they have historically been um, void of being able to participate in. And so I think that there's so much to be done currently within the current programs that are available. If we can figure out how to better translate what those programs were intended for to what the needs of the landscape and the producers are. Um, how do you do that? Uh, how's it, do you have an example of how you, through that group that you just uh, described, how they have been yeah. successful in trying to get what you get the end results that you're talking about? Yeah, for sure. So here on on Cheyenne River, I'll use as an example. Um, our our leasing arrangement is on a five year reallocation process. So every five years, you have to basically throughout the five year span be able to justify and prove that you're within the great compliance of the grazing ordinance and if you are you automatically get to be able to continue the stewardship of that landscape and, and keep your business there on that land base um, that doesn't mean that i'm the owner of the land but i basically have uh, access to a 
long-term lease on the landscape. Um, depending on the timing of the year, if I were to walk into the NRCS office to ask for an environmental quality incentives program uh, contract to be able to enhance the conservation infrastructure on my landscape, um, if I can't justify or prove that I'm the owner and operator of the land, I may not qualify for being able to get access to the cost share programs that are available for conservation implementation through that All right, program. But is the, where, where the rubber hits the road, though, Kelsey, is it fair, uh, the treatment? And do you even need it? Uh, if you're doing well, it would seem that the idea here, what I promote anyway, is to get away from government to try to make your business self-sufficient in every way uh, so that you don't have to worry about resources that you really can't control. Somebody in Washington is deciding whether you fit in a county uh, that is economically deprived or not. I mean, what do they know about my uh, business? It just becomes cookie-cutter stuff. And then we become too dependent. We become dependent on the money that we're getting that isn't part of what we've earned. You've earned the you you sell your product for a price and you've earned that price and it isn't set by somebody sitting in an office somewhere and that's the problem with the dairy industry you know the way too often most people that sell into the pool are being told what they're going to get paid no matter what it costs them to do it in your circumstance it looks to me anyway like you can control the product from its birth through its growth through its finishing or dressing off to the price of it, and actually you can control who buys it. That's pretty, it's kind of heady stuff, isn't it? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, probably where I differ um, from some businesses that are in this space is um, I I do control all of that stuff uh, within functioning to, you know, accommodate getting state infected and making sure Mm -hmm. I'm in compliance with South Dakota Department of Health. Um, But, Quite frankly, my control on the price is how affordably can I get this to my local community? Because the people are the ones that I'm most excited about being able to provide a healthy food source for. Um, it's it's not just about the bottom line of the business. It's about the bottom line of my community's health. And how do I help to address the food insecurity that exists? How do I make sure that we start feeding our kids healthier beef or healthier meat of any kind, quite frankly, rather than what they're getting currently in the, in the school system? Um, Which is meat that comes from, in many circumstances, back to what you were saying before, you don't even know where it comes from. There's so much beef coming into this country from Chile and Brazil and South America in general and isn't even labeled. Uh, The government has done a nice job, along with the big ag folks, of keeping sources of of the, the location where the food comes from a secret. So you don't know when you're buying the beef where it actually comes from unless... They're buying it from you or somebody like you where they can see the animals. They can see the farm. See, this is my big push. Everybody needs to, especially after the pandemic, everybody needs to find local sources for everything. Instead of, I mean, you go down the triple uh, impact of this, losing sight of where the food comes from. We've lost sight of everything in our country. All the stuff that's made in China, we don't have, you know, the jobs. It's a whole can of worms. And I'm sure you're affected by it. So uh, we got a few more minutes here. I want to talk about size and how that matters and what we, you know, I want to have you describe kind of the numbers, number of animals you're raising, that sort of thing for a, a moment or two as time allows. Product information about Calitrin now, the weight loss formula that's all natural. You get a 30-day supply in every bottle. 
So you get a three-month supply free when you buy three months. That's the cool thing. Well, not not really the coolest thing. Coolest thing is that it works. How about a run? We <laughs> a round of applause for something that actually works. That's what Calitrin has a working reputation for 24 years of helping now millions of people not only lose the weight, but more importantly, keep it off. And the natural way of doing that is really very cool. I won't talk about anything on the programs that I do unless it's all natural, unless it conforms to, I guess, the way I live my life. I don't want drugs. I don't want stimulants. I don't want caffeine. I don't want any of that stuff in my body. So I don't drink coffee, don't drink liquor, don't do any bad things. But I still put on a few pounds. I guess I do do bad things. I eat ice cream and cake. And that puts on a few pounds here and there. So I choose Calitrin to help me keep it off. Check it out. Go to toploss.com. That's their website. You can read all about the success, the information about the formula, the story about the people who put it all together. Fabulous American story. This is all, by the way, an American product. FDA approved. Check it out. Get healthy the right way with Calitrin, the natural weight loss formula. It's at toploss.com where you check out for the three-month free supply and free shipping, use the code DJV. Back to Kelsey Scott from DX Beef out in uh, South Dakota territory. Um, you have, uh, uh, I guess the size thing is important. You're a young person getting started here. Um, how many animals do you raise a year? What do you put yeah, through? I, I have a really unique situation where the generation prior to me on this ranch was very welcoming when I came home from college and mm-hmm. with my grass nerd degree, as they call it. Um, grass they, nerd they degree? To, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They allowed me yeah. to jump right into making some management shifts or, or mm-hmm. you know, explaining to them why I thought we should do things the way we were, are now doing them. Um, and learned right alongside me. We run um, around 250 head of cows, uh, reproducing cows. We well, are you have yeah, the Angus? What sort of breed, what breed do you have? We primarily have an Angus base to our herd, but we definitely have some hybrid vigor with some um, actually Brangus influence. We, we've got a couple of Corianni Longhorn influence mm-hmm. cattle mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Um, my, my husband is very... Uh, very much a believer in the Salir genetics. So we've got a little bit of everything in our focus rather than, um, you know, the particular uh, breed that we can ascribe to is does the animal match our environment? Is the animal needing an excessive amount of input to be able to get through our harsh winters or do they come out of it fat as a tick, able to be able to uh, raise a baby calf in May when we calve. So mm-hmm. that's really what our focus on is, is kind of pl- blending the genetics that we need to be able to grow healthy and, and happy cows here on Cheyenne River. All right. So the $64 question in the moments we have remaining, where does this go? Where does this lead to? What's the future for you and the people who are supporting you and the people who are using your product? Yeah, well, hopefully I can inspire others to jump in and to be able to feed their community as well. Um, I've learned that the road in direct-to-consumer marketing is bumpy and you're going to run into hiccups. And I might as well be able to help people know how to put that seatbelt on so they don't whack their head on the windshield as they're driving down that road. Um, I also really look forward to figuring out ways that we can continue to compound on the the beneficial impact that we've had here on this landscape and make it even better. You know, we're looking at this summer 
um, implementing more cross fences to be able to kind of better manage the grazing even further yet. When my grandpa mm-hmm. was ranching here, we had four pastures across this landscape, and now we're closer to 18 permanent pastures. So yeah. the impact grazing. and the rest Rotation. that we're able yeah. to, yep, yeah. yep is good. really important. And looking forward to figuring out maybe if we can, if I can convince my, my family that maybe we need a few head of goats and maybe uh-huh. some hogs. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like blasphemy to me. But maybe you'd be kind of cool to spread your expertise. Good to have you here. Thanks for telling us your story, Kelsey. Continued success. Kelsey Scott from DX Beef. Check it out, dxbeef.com. This is the American Family Farmer. I'm Doug Steffen. The uh, comments I have are focused on my cows and cows in general. Let me tell you about the experience that I've had the last couple of weeks. Uh, as many of you know, as you listen to me, uh, my uh, The website for my farm, Eastly, E-A-S-T-L-E-I-G-H, EastleyFarm.com, gives you sort of an overview of what a New England dairy farm. Now I'm raising heifers, and I have had a hard problem in the last couple of years. I'm a Jersey guy. I want to raise jerseys. I want to have them bred and go on. I, and I actually want to go back to milking. I haven't for five or six years, but I want to get the barn back to where it was. And and do it in the traditional way. I mean, a lot of people, I went to a, a farm yesterday that has robotic milkers. I've never seen them. <laughs> I have never seen a robotic milker work. And so this farm uh, has an exclusive registered Jersey herd. They've been there for hundreds of years on this land. Uh, it's a magnificent place in uh, Western Mass called Highlawn Farm. And so I wanted to uh, mix their some of their cattle into my my herd. And so I when we talked about pregnancy checks and hoof health and all kinds of things as to how they apply there, there are four young people who are running this farm, and they don't need to have milkers because, again, the robotic milker takes care of that. I find it, the cows, it's kind of like they're living on happy acres. They determine what they're going to eat, how much they're eating, and they determine when they're going to milk. Most cows are milked three times a day, but it's their choice. I mean, it's like, hello, it's the most bizarre thing, but yet I can see how it works. And these young youngsters that are late 20s, early 30s that run the farm have uh, the methods they have, the computerized records, uh, the way it's all, it's kind of all automated. I mean, you can't automate feeding them uh, or taking care of the equipment or taking care of the buildings and stuff. Uh, But to see these cows... And how happy they are. I mean, that's really my goal is to have happy cows. And when you look at these disgusting, horrible places that have thousands of cows, that's not dairying. That's not farming. That's a factory. And these people on this farm, I actually went to two different farms. I went to an Amish farm earlier in the week and picked up some heifer calves uh, up there. And I had a great conversation with this Amish farmer who brought me through the history of his land, through his family and stuff. He's had it in the family for a long time. And and really how the animals are being treated. Uh, you know, they are out to pasture. He's got hundreds of acres of pasture. He's an organic farmer, uh, which appeals to me. It just is kind of the way it felt. It brought me back to my roots. I felt good about visiting both of these farms. And many times, in my experience, as perhaps in yours, you go to the farms of today and it's either they're so depressed, the buildings are falling down and you know they can't make any money, their attitudes are horrible, or there are people who have been able to survive uh, and hopefully without, without government money, 
And so that's what, what's going on now. This guy who is on the organic farm in upstate New York is getting 41 bucks a hundredweight for milk that everybody else is putting stuff in. Granted, it's organic, so it's worth a little more. But there's a pool here of about a dozen farms. They're all Amish, and they all work together. They uh, milk the cows, produce the milk, and uh, market it. And they're getting uh, average 41 bucks a hundredweight. God love them. That's what we all should be getting. That's what it's worth to take care of cows, do it the right way, feed them the right way, and get a product that actually is good for you instead of the crap that most people buy in the store. Hopefully, if you're into the dairy business, you're selling the milk on your farm if you can possibly make that work. That's the best thing. Uh, but I was, in, I was enlightened and I was heartened by my experience. Uh, these special cows, and cows, my, you know, I'm really, they're sacred to me. Uh, they're special because they are close to the earth and close to the people who are managing them, which is, again, the antithesis of what's going on on these big factory farms. So I felt good, and I wanted to have you know that I feel good, understanding that every cow that I come across is very special. This is the American Family Farmer. I'm your host and an American Family Farmer, Doug Steffen. This podcast made possible in part by Calitrin, the safe way to lose weight, Prevagen, keeping your brain healthy, and my pillow, guaranteed to be the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. This program was edited by Bob K. Sound and Recording. Visit bobksound.com.